Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of October 21st, 2019. On this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast, we will be recapping the 2019 Chicago White Sox pitching staff, both the starters and relievers. Lucas Giolito was an absolute stud and could finish in the top five in Cy Young voting this season. Alex Calame and Aaron Bummer did a good job locking down high leverage situations, but a pitching coach, Don Cooper, is going to have this unit ready to make the transition from rebuilder to contender. He'll need to get more consistency out of other pitchers like Ronaldo Lopez and Dylan Cease. We'll dish out our grades and look ahead to the 2020 pitching staff. Speaking of looking ahead, the Sox Machine Offseason Plan Project is finally live. You can go to SoxMachine.com and fill out your plans. We'll be inviting some of you to record with us next week to share your ideas on which free agent targets or trades you'd like to see the White Sox convert on. In the end of the show, we'll answer your questions in P.O. Sox. I'll be joined by Ted Mulvey, our quiz master, to discuss the White Sox pitchers later in the show. But Jim is off this episode for a very good reason. I know he doesn't share a lot of personal news outside of going to hold steady concerts and curling season, which I believe is coming up. But this weekend, Jim got married. So congratulations to Jim and his wife, Kara. For those that attended the holiday party last year, you got a chance to meet her. She's wonderful, and they make an excellent match. Many, many happy years to come for the two of them, and hopefully they can find a dog that Jim is not too allergic of. Moving over to baseball, there are two big stories around the league. First, it was a very fun game to watch, 
And that ninth inning was quite dramatic, but thanks to Jose Altuve's walk-off two-run homer, the Houston Astros beat the New York Yankees Saturday night in six games, and they will go on to play the Washington Nationals in the World Series. The probable starters for the first three games are insane. Game one of the World Series will be Tuesday night, starting at 7 p.m. Central Time. It is Garrett Cole against Max Scherzer. Game two is Wednesday night. It's Justin Verlander against Steven Strasburg. Both those games are in Houston. And then in Washington, D.C., Friday night, it is Zach Greinke against Patrick Corbin. Again, those matchups are crazy good. Just check out these postseason stats. For Garrett Cole this postseason, in three games started, he's pitched 22 and two-thirds innings. He's only allowed one run. 10 hits allowed. He's got 32 strikeouts to eight walks. Max Scherzer in game one. He's appeared in four games. Three of those he started. And in 20 innings, he's only allowed four earned runs, nine hits, and he's got 27 strikeouts and eight walks. In game two, Justin Verlander has been beat up a little bit in this postseason. He's allowed 10 earned runs over 24 and a third innings in four starts with 29 strikeouts to eight walks. And Steven Strasburg has been terrific his entire career in the postseason. He's only allowed four earned runs in three games started over 22 innings with 33 strikeouts and just one walk, one walk in his three games started. Just incredible. Game three will be a bit iffy as Patrick Corbin and Zach Greinke have been lit up at times during this postseason. Greinke has allowed 10 earned runs over 14 innings. 15 hits, he struck out 16 in five walks. Patrick Corbin has appeared in five games. He's only made two starts, so he's only pitched 13 in the third innings. He's allowed 12 runs, 11 of them have been earned, and he's got 11 hits, and he's allowed 10 walks, but he has 26 strikeouts. So he's averaging two strikeouts per inning right now during the postseason, so that's another crazy number. I think the key for this World Series will be Game 4, as the Nationals have Anibal Sanchez on the mound. In his two starts this postseason, Sanchez has only allowed one run in 12 and two-thirds innings, striking out 14 with three walks. I'm not sure how he's doing this. The Houston Astros don't really have a fourth starter. They've gone to Brad Peacock to start a bullpen game. I'm not sure if they really want Garrett Cole to start three days rest. So if the Nationals could figure out Justin Verlander and Patrick Corbett is more steady than Zach Greinke in Game 3, I think it's possible the Nationals could have a two-games-to-one advantage going into Game 4. If Sanchez continues his good stretch, by the time Garrett Cole gets another start for the Astros, they could be in hot water. They could be down three games to one. However, if the Astros punish Patrick Corbin and they are up two games to one, then there's more pressure on Sanchez to continue to deliver before it gets to Cole and Verlander. So that's why I think Game 4 is pretty critical, no matter if the Astros or Nationals are up. Depending on what the circumstances are for Anibal Sanchez, if the Nationals have a lead and he can continue to go through his routine as far as getting ready, knowing that he's not going to lose the World Series for them, I think the Nationals could be pretty comfortable and maybe in a position to upset the Astros to win the World Series. However, if Houston's offense, which I do like more than the Nationals' offense going into this World Series, can take advantage of Max Scherzer and they can take advantage of Patrick Corbin 
and then they're forcing Anibal Sanchez to deliver. I could see the Astros up three games to one in the series and then handing the ball to Garrett Cole in game five and then winning the World Series in five games in Washington, D.C. So I think this is going to be a very fun series. Overall, I have the Houston Astros winning in six games over the Washington Nationals. I just wish that John Smoltz wasn't part of the broadcast team because I don't want to hear about how it's not about the analytics and everyone should ignore the analytics over three and a half hour games. It has not been a very fun broadcast when Smoltz has been on, but I digress. Just focus on the starting pitching. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I hope the Astros and Nationals deliver in this World Series. Now, the second item that has come to light in recent days, and that is the agreement between Major League Baseball and the minor leagues as it expires after the 2020 season. Excellent reporting for both Baseball America and The Athletic about what has been going on between the two leagues. The agreement between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball allows teams to supply players to the minor league affiliates. But Major League Baseball is not happy with the amount of minor league affiliates that don't meet their standard when it comes to facilities. According to both reports, Major League Baseball is seeking the minor league baseball to reduce the amount of affiliates by 25%. Obviously, this is getting pushback from minor league baseball. Uh, Also, part of the request is to move some A-level teams to AAA and demote some AAA teams to A-level. The problem with that is that some A-level teams would have to pay upwards to $12 million more to make that transition. One affiliate that could be targeted is Winston-Salem, as the Dash have a new stadium and they have excellent facilities. Plus, geographically, they are nearby Durham and Charlotte, which would help reduce travel expenses for those two AAA affiliates. One thing that has come to light that impacts the upcoming CBA that expires after the 2021 season is that Major League Baseball is planning on pushing the draft back to August. So instead of picking players in June, waiting for their seasons to be over on the collegiate level, again, the draft has usually been around regionals during college baseball postseason. So you watch these guys get drafted. If their teams are successful, they move on to the super regionals and then they go to the College World Series. If you remember how long it took for Nick Magical to make the transition from being drafted in the first round by the White Sox to actually joining a White Sox affiliate. It was like a whole nother month before he did so. Major League Baseball is hoping to avoid that by just pushing the Major League Baseball draft back to August, waiting for all seasons to be over before signing those players to the minor league affiliates for the second half. There could be a chance that after teams make their selections, those players won't join an affiliate, though, until the following season. Oh, and Major League Baseball wants to reduce the draft from 40 rounds to 25 rounds. Obviously, minor league baseball is in a tight spot because if they don't meet Major League Baseball's needs, they run risk after the 2020 season of not having rosters for their 160-plus minor league affiliates. That would be a big blow to their business. If they don't come to terms to an agreement, minor league baseball's last resort is to go to Congress and challenge Major League Baseball's antitrust exemption which means the very thing that most of us try to do in avoiding politics and the daily news and pay attention more to what's going on in baseball. 
our baseball will be brought into the politics world right when there is a presidential election going on. I really, really hope that doesn't come to fruition, but I think Major League Baseball is demonstrating that their strong arm negotiating tactics. We've always thought it would be a battle between the Major League Baseball Players Association, but it appears that Commissioner Rob Manfred wants to fight a two-front war with both the Players Association and the minor leagues. I don't think that's wise, and even if he does win his battles, I do wonder how greatly it will impact us, the fans. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, it's time to review the 2019 Chicago White Sox pitchers and look ahead to 2020. Do you ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? It's as if they're so big they can get away with not caring about the customer experience. So what if there are sites annoying and doesn't have the events you want? The real question is, how easy could it be if those ticketing sites actually cared? Well, with millions of live event tickets at a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves there's a better way to buy tickets. Search sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you are looking for all in one place. In an industry that tends to stagnate, SeatGeek decided to stand up from the crowd. They built the fastest way to find tickets so you could stop searching for the perfect seat and start a it and I use SeatGeek all the time during the White Sox season and I always go to SeatGeek as well whenever there are other events like Bears games or Chicago Bulls games or Blackhawks games as those regular seasons are about to start and I always go to SeatGeek first because there's always a price match guarantee every stadium is seeming to go to digital tickets it's easy to download the tickets onto your smartphone plus SeatGeek pulls together millions of tickets from all over the web so they rate each deal on a scale of 1 to 10 and when they put them on an interactive seat map have a better understanding of what the view looks like from those seats and making my final decision. The best part is that SeatGeek will get you $10 off your first purchase. All you have to do is just download the SeatGeek app today and use promo code SOCKSMACHINE for $10 off on your first purchase. Again, that's promo code SOCKSMACHINE for $10 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. The 2019 Chicago White Sox pitching staff was ranked 19th overall in Major League Baseball in terms of war, at 12.3 wins above replacement, according to Fangraphs. Breaking that down further, the White Sox starting pitchers were ranked 19th at baseball at 9.6 war, while the bullpen was middle of the road, 15th in baseball at 2.7 war. As we are witnessing in this postseason, starting pitching is incredibly important, not only allowing teams to reach the postseason, but it has been the difference on who is successful in October as we've seen the Houston Astros and Washington Nationals make the World Series. Lucas Giolito was terrific in one of the best turnaround seasons we have ever witnessed, but he needs help from his brethren as Dylan Cease and Ronaldo Lopez need to be more consistent. And there is good news. Michael Kopech will be returning in 2020, but the White Sox do need another starting pitcher, as many have wondered who they could possibly target in free agency or trade this offseason. Then there is the bullpen, which performed well, but can they repeat their performance as is, or will the White Sox front office need to make additional moves to bolster that unit? Well, to help me pass out grades in 2019, plus look ahead to 2020, is our Sox Machine quiz master and resident historian, it's Ted Mulvey. And hello, Ted. Thanks for coming on the show. 
Hey, Josh, thanks for having me. It's good to be on. So let's start by grading the White Sox pitching staff as a whole. As I just ran down the numbers for war for the entire unit and the starting staff and the bullpen, when you look at the entire pitching staff, Ted, what grade would you give them for their 2019 performance? As a whole, I would probably give them a C minus, maybe trending towards a D plus. They're obviously a few good breakout performances. You already mentioned Lucas Giolito and in the bullpen, Aaron Bummer was a nice, uh, nice surprise. And some of the other guys on there, Evan Marshall, Alex Colomay were good, but Ooh, as a whole, we're hoping that uh, things are going to be trending a little bit upwards next year. So I, I don't think I can give much better than a C minus. Well, at least it got to a C minus. There were some questions in the first half of the season, especially the starting pitching side. It was Lucas Giolito and and then Ivan Nova for a while had an eight ERA and Ronaldo Lopez was struggling out of the gate and. There was a lot of Dylan Covey starts to start the year. Even Manny Benuelos was making starts. I, I agree with you that it's right around the sea level. The arrow was pointing up towards the end of the year uh, after their struggle in the first half. But they do still have some work to do. So let's go ahead and grade out the individuals. And we'll start with the starting pitcher that I'm not sure is coming back for the 2020 season. I'm pretty sure that he's not. And that's Yvonne Nova. And again, to remind our listeners, these grades from uh, you, our fans and survey takers uh, come from the 2019 uh, as far as season survey review. And we had 569 responses and our listeners gave Yvonne Nova 66% of them gave him a C for his 2019 performance. Ted, what grade would you give Ivan Nova for his 2019 performance? Sure, I'd, I'd agree with that. I, I gave him a C plus. Um, I think he ended up being just about what everyone hoped that he was going to be coming in. Um, just a back-end starter, soaked up innings in the mold of James Shields, but hopefully um, having a fewer starts where he just kind of wears it on his uniform. So, you know, he had a rough April, uh, rough May. Um, I mean, how do you give up 14 runs in consecutive starts to the Orioles? Um, but he was de- decent the rest of the way. Um, his ERA, I was looking at his game logs, and I got down to 4.37 after August 24th against Texas, so not too bad. Um, plus, you know, it's hilarious that he owned Houston in both of his starts. So um, I'd give him a C, C+. Plus, um Moving forward, I, I, I don't think that the White Sox probably bring them back. Um, Greg mentioned this on Friday. I think if it's rotation depth, that might be okay. But if he's one of their solutions as starting pitcher, uh, things aren't good. Yeah. And, you know, for Nova, he led the team in game started with 34. Uh, he pitched a total of 187 innings for the White Sox that led the team. Not only did he do well against the Astros, he was very good against the Chicago Cubs. As well, I wonder if one of the teams in the National League Central uh, would be one of their plans this offseason would to sign Ivanova to a one year deal just because of the success that he's had against the Chicago Cubs uh, in his career, not only with the White Sox this season, but he was very good against the Cubs as well with the Pittsburgh Pirates. What do you think Ivanova signs for, though? If he's not coming back to the White Sox, do you think. Well, what kind of deal that he would sign for in free agency? Because James Shields did not find a home after the White Sox. Sure, yeah, I, I think he's a little bit better than uh, in better position than James Shields. Um, I, I would say probably a one year, maybe two year deal, uh, eight to ten million. 
Um, I'd like to see the Brewers sign him. That would be hilarious. Just see how he does against the Cubs and however many starts he gets against them. Yeah, that would be the reason, right, right for the Brewers to mm-hmm. sign Ivan Nova is <laughs> Nova's good against the Cubs, and that would be good enough for Milwaukee Brewers fans. Yeah, exactly. So moving from Ivan Nova, uh, let's talk about the guy who was second in game started for the White Sox in 2019, and that is Reynaldo Lopez, who was – at times, just maddeningly inconsistent throughout the season. And when looking at the grades from those that took the survey, it's pretty much split between a C and a D. 49% gave Ronaldo Lopez a C. 42.5% gave Ronaldo Lopez a D. What grade would you give Ronaldo Lopez for 2019? Well, you hit the nail on the head. Um, I, I, I like to give him an F for frustratingly inconsistent, but um, I'll settle for a C minus D plus. You know, it's just he'd have good starts. He had a good start against Oakland, I think, right after the All Star break. You know, six runs, no six innings, no runs allowed. And then he'd have back to back clunkers against the Twins and the Angels. So. What do you what do you say? Is it his lack of focus that he has? I mean, that is a murky concept. So if focus is the culprit, I don't know. I kind of feel like you'd see him in an entire start. He'd lose focus here and there. And then he'd have games, though, where he's like, I struck out 14 against the Tigers. And granted, it's the Tigers, but that's still 14 major league players. Um I don't know. Maybe the focus part is on repeatable delivery. Um, if he's feeling off, he can't just get back on and get back on track. I think Giolito had that last year as well. So um, I don't know. Maybe he can work with Giolito over the offseason if he's not feeling good start to start on uh, getting that focus part back. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Going from here, um, what do you, where, where, where do we go? I mean, that is a good question. I think that's going to be one of the topics we'll be discussing quite often in 2020, Ted. And that's my follow-up question. Is 2020 a make-or-break season for Ronaldo Lopez? It, you know, it almost seems like it is. The Sox as an organization are a little strange, and I feel like they'll probably give him a little bit longer leash. Um whether they should or not, 2021 is supposed to be that actual first season of true contention. So I don't know if other organizations would do the same. I don't think that you can move him to the bullpen if he's going to continue to be inconsistent like this. I mean, he has the stuff. But again, how are you going to harness that if he has a bad outing? He's just going to be a gas can. So it almost does feel like, at least for my end, that it is a make or break season. Uh, I just don't know if the Sox are actually going to feel that way. All right, so let's move from Ronaldo Lopez, who obviously has to get better uh, because the White Sox saw incredible improvement from the next pitcher we're going to grade, and that's Lucas Giolito. And I find it very hard to believe that 4% of our survey takers gave Lucas Giolito a B. What? <laughs> or his 2019 season. I don't know how you can't give Giolito an A or an A plus for what he did for the White Sox as he was 14 and 9 overall in 29 games started. He was worth 5.1 war on fan graphs and he had a 3.41 ERA with a 3.43 FIP. So those two numbers are very close to each other. And he had 11.62 strikeout per nine innings. And his walk rate slashed dramatically to just 2.9 walks over nine innings. I mean, what else can you say about Giolito except when we look forward? What are the realistic expectations for Giolito in 2020 
and on. Is he now the ace that suddenly replaces what the White Sox lost when they traded Chris Sale and Jose Katana to start the rebuild, Ted? Yeah, it sure seems like it. Um, I, I think everything that you said, obviously, is already spot on. I guess moving forward, what you'd hope is that maybe he'd be able to continue um, working for more innings. I guess there that would be a nice improvement. It kind of is a bummer that he missed what the last three starts of the season i think so um hopefully he could he could move forward with that uh maybe continue to reduce his walks a little bit and he reduced them by a third this year see if he can kind of continue there uh reduce the home runs but who knows with the bouncy ball or lack thereof if the postseason is any indication who knows with that um i certainly think he can repeat what he's got here the peripherals seem to suggest it and um yeah, it was nice to be able to have somebody that you could look forward to one out of every five days. That was not something that we've had uh, since Sal left. So then moving from Lucas Giolito, let's take a look at the rookie that joined the White Sox, and that is Dylan Cease. And Cease, for the season, made 14 starts for the White Sox. He pitched 73 innings. He was worth 0.7 war, as his ERA was quite high. The walks, Cease had a walk issue, much like... Lucas Giolito did. He had 4.32 walk rate per nine innings, and his ERA was 5.79, and his FIP was 5.19. I'm still a believer in Dylan Cease, but I can't disagree with our listeners, which 68% gave Dylan Cease a C for his 2019 season, his rookie campaign. What grade would you give Dylan Cease for 2019, Ted? Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. I, I gave him a C. Um, it's just this was like the epitome of a rookie season. I'm glad the Sox brought him up so that you could kind of see what was going on. It looked like he was figuring things out from start to start. And yeah, it was kind of like one of those things where you'd think, man, all right, he's looking pretty good. That first Detroit starts a good example. Two quick outs on six pitches. And then I wrote this down because I couldn't remember it. Uh, two walks, HBP. Two-run single, another walk, and then out of the inning. So, And that just seemed to be kind of like everything this year that he had was just uh, he'd have one really bad inning. If it was like he was a terrible internet ad, it would be like opponents use this one bad inning to unravel cease. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, just kind of, it's just kind of funny. You'd, you'd be like, ah, he's looking really good, or ah, he's looking really bad, and he'd, he'd figure out a way out of it, or he'd get into trouble. So, um, yeah, I, I, can't agree, I can't disagree with the listeners. I think that um, a C is, uh, is pretty good. I am confident, though, that Dylan sees during the offseason is going to put the work in and he's going to put the work in during spring training to find a way to be more consistent. And I'm really optimistic on what Cease can provide to the White Sox in 2020. How about you, Ted? Are you confident that Cease can find more consistency in his second year? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the stuff is there. He showed the good fastball. He showed the good curveball. Um, I mean, he had a good K-9 that was in double digits despite having some short outings. So uh, I think the big thing that he had kept talking about throughout the year was figuring out why his fastball was cutting so much. So work on that in the offseason, continue to work on some other things. I think he can make the improvements and, and take a step forward next year. All right. Then let's talk about the pitchers that made appearances as starters this year and dish out our grades. First, the very popular Dylan Covey. <laughs> what grade did you give Dylan Covey for his 2019 season? I, I, I know it's going to be a shock. I gave him an F. An F? Yeah. Well, 65% yeah. of our 
survey listeners, I uh, also gave Dylan Covey uh, an F. I think uh, some people were trolling again. Three people gave Dylan Covey a B. Maybe they thought it was Dylan Cease when they read the question. <laughs> uh, but three people did give Dylan Covey a B. How about Ross Detweiler? What did you give uh, Big Game Ross for his 2019 season? Oh, Big Ross Ross, man. He got a D minus F plus. Um, I'm giving him... A D minus ish, just because occasionally he'd give you a like randomly good start, like he did against Texas, or uh, did he have like, that good one to end uh, against Cleveland at the end of the season? Was yeah. that him? Yep. So, so I, I, I'll give him, I'll be nice, and I'll give him a D minus instead of an F plus. But um, I could certainly see everybody giving him an F as well. Is F plus a real grade? I don't know if I've ever uh, seen an F plus. It is. It is in my book. Okay. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, then, uh, how about Manny Benuelos? Does Benuelos get an F plus? No, no. He just gets a straight up F. Straight and up it, F. it's funny. I, I can't remember what media outlet wrote this. If it was the Athletics or somewhere else, that when they signed him, or when they traded for him, uh, everyone in the Sox organization was saying, "Oh yeah, the scouts are saying, yeah, he's got his old stuff back. He's going to be great." And then all I could think of was like, "Oh man, what are we? What are we doing? If they're if they're saying everything, if the White Sox scouts think everything's back, what what does that bode?" And yeah, didn't seem to work out. And then perhaps the most unknown or undecided from our listeners out of all the player grades is Carlos Rodon. So 37.6% of our listeners gave Rodon a D. 30.6% of our listeners gave him a C. 27% gave Carlos Rodon Enough, and I find it a bit tough because he did get hurt. He made he made only seven starts for the White Sox this year, at thirty four point two innings. That's not even that's that's right around five innings per start, which is which is not very good. He struck out batters at a very high clip, almost a twelve strikeout per nine innings. But the walks were a problem. Home runs were also an issue early on. However, according to Fangraphs, WAR. Carlos Rodon was at 0.9 war, which is 0.2 better than Dylan Cease in half the amount of starts as Carlos Rodon's FIP was 3.62, but his ERA is at 5.19. What grade do you give Carlos Rodon, even though he made seven starts? I'm going to give him a C minus. I mean, I'd really like to be able to give him an incomplete just because he had only those seven starts. Um, But obviously that's not the purpose of this. Um, I'd say C minus, you know, he had, what, two pretty good starts against the Indians and the Yankees. Um, but then again, he also looked not very good against Detroit and was otherwise mediocre in a lot of his other starts. So I'll give him a C minus. Um, I could totally see where people are coming from with the D. You know, they really needed him to be able to take those innings and he couldn't do that. Um, of course, I don't know how much of that is his fault. It's his body, but he seems to be putting into the effort. So um, I definitely tender him a contract moving forward, but um, it's going to be a worry about how he recovers from the Tommy John. See, that was going to be my question. Looking at Covey, Detweiler, Banuelos, and Rodon, which of those four pitchers do you foresee making starts for the White Sox in 2020? <sighs> Probably Rodan. I could see them taking Covey back, probably. Um, it's really it's an F on that organization, though, for not experimenting with what Covey could do s- sooner. You know, 95 mile per hour sinker, sinker baller, and you can't, like, figure out what, what, what you got in him. So um, I could see Covey coming back. I don't know about 
I don't think Ben Wallace would come back. Maybe Detweiler, but um, Rodon seems the surest lock, I think, for that. See, I disagree. Really? I would not tender a contract to Carlos Rodon. Ooh. And that's going to be part of my off-season plan. So spoiler alert, <laughs> as my off-season plan comes out on Tuesday morning. But the reason I look at Carlos Rodon is that he's not going to pitch again. He's not going to throw until June. He's going to need time because he's not going to have a spring training to get ready. So you're looking at July, maybe August before he can start making starts. And, you know, for a team that's planning for an entire season, sure, four and a half million dollars is not a lot of money, but it is to the White Sox as far as how they spend money. Yeah, that's true. And do you want to wait until August to see if you can use Carlos Rodon as pitching depth? But if you are a believer that Ronaldo Lopez will bounce back and Dylan Cease will find consistency and Michael Kopech will be strong and Lucas Giolito will continue his success from 2019 and the White Sox will spend the money this offseason to sign a starting pitcher from free agency, where does Carlos Rodon fit? Because I don't see him being that guy that'd be happy pitching out of the bullpen. So that's why I think for both sides, and I also don't think that there's going to be an extension after the 2021 season between the White Sox and Carlos Rodon, that this would be the time to split ways and it may be a mutual parting in which Carlos Rodon gets an opportunity to go into free agency early, sign with the team as he continues to rehab, maybe on a prove-it one-year deal and he can help someone in the second half while the White Sox move on and try to find someone that they can count on to be healthy moving forward to help work with Kopech, Giolito, Lopez, and Cease. That's my thinking behind it. I know it's very controversial. Sure. Uh, but out of those four, I would say I would hope none of those four pitchers <laughs> are, are making starts to the White Sox in 2020. And it breaks my heart a little bit because I've been such a big Carlos Rodon supporter. But I think at this stage in his career and where the White Sox are, that it's worthwhile that both parties go their separate ways. So that's interesting. So you don't think that the whole first-round pedigree, investing that money in the, that first-round pick and kind of some of their organizational loyalty in the past will um, will have any effect on that? I don't because I don't see them sticking with, Car uh, with Carson Fulmer. Sure. No, that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And if we want to talk about, you know, Rick Hahn's efforts, the front office efforts, which we'll be discussing next week in the podcast when we review the White Sox front office and preview what we think that their efforts will be on uh, next week's Sox Machine podcast, it's going to be unfortunate. They're not going to get the results that they were hoping for when they drafted Carlos Rodon. They're most certainly not going to get the results that they were hoping for drafting from Carson Fulmer. I don't know when Zach Birdie's ever going to pitch again for the White Sox farm system or if he's even close to pitching in the major leagues. Zach Collins is in the major leagues, but he's still struggling a little bit. And Jake Berger still hasn't played baseball in the minor leagues since the 2017 season. Ladies and gentlemen, that is your five first-round picks in four seasons during when you were rebuilding. And you may not get much out of those first-round picks. And that may hurt the, the total rebuild efforts for the White Sox as far as them trying to make this transition. 
or they're just going to have to make do without it and just move forward. And I think that that also is healthy for both parties as well. It's just to admit that this is not a good situation for either of us. So maybe it's just time to go our separate ways. Yeah, I, that's, that's, uh, those are fair points. It sounds like the front office should probably read a lot of the uh, off-season plans on Sox Machine Duck. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. I mean, if he's tendered a contract, then I'm going to be really interested in how they're going to rehab uh, and prepare Carlos Rodon. Because if they tender him a contract, Ted, yeah, and he goes to rehab, during spring training in July, he goes to Winston-Salem and he pitches some games at Kannapolis and he pitches some games for the Charlotte Knights because he's his home is out in North Carolina, so they'll keep him close to Charlotte. And he is not performing well. Do they If they cut ties with him then, then I'm going to question what was this all about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, that would be, uh, that'd be its own interesting post for sure. Right. You, you just paid a guy to rehab i don't know just again it's not money well spent so yeah sure everyone go their separate ways let carlos Rodon be a free agent early and let him sign on with another team and i'm sure it'll be like the los angeles dodgers he'll sign on and he'll be terrific for them in the second half and help him in the postseason because <laughs> that's the type of guy the dodgers like to aim for is the guys that seem to be damaged left-handed starters much like rich hill yeah. All right, so that's the starting pitchers as far as grading those. But looking ahead, and this is a very popular topic because the White Sox do have a hole in their starting staff. I think they need at least one starter. Rick Khan said in his postseason press conference, Ted, that he's looking to add two starting pitchers this offseason. How would you go about resolving the White Sox starting pitching vacancies? Well, in an ideal world, I would uh, have Jerry – start raining money down and sign Garrett Cole. And uh, if you could entice Steven Strasburg away from the Nationals, that'd be awesome. Um, Now, this is not an ideal world, and that's probably not going to happen. Um, So more realistically, I I think if you look at some of those mid to, uh, I don't know what, upper middle class tier free agents, hopefully they they can address it through that. So, um, And I'll be talking a little bit about this in my own um, offseason plan, but I'd like to see them target Zach Wheeler and uh, Jake Odorizzi. they both seem like they'd be good fits. The one thing I wonder is um, Zach Wheeler seems like he might um, have the qualifying offer attached. Maybe Odorizzi wouldn't. I'm not sure. Um, so we'll see where it goes from there. But I'd like to see them uh, target both those guys, and um, those seem like they would be pretty nice. I would also actually probably, if you were able to sign both of those guys, I would take Ivan Nova back on a one-year deal if nobody had signed him hmm. as, like, starting, as, as depth. Just, just like Greg had mentioned on Friday, if it's depth, he's fine. You just don't want him as the solution. When would you want to tap into that depth? Because let's say the White Sox do break the piggy bank and they sign someone like Zach Wheeler, which I think he's going to sign something like four years, $64 million, or if somebody offers him five years, that could be pushed up to something like 80 maybe even $90 million in the top end, a deal similar to that Jeff Samarja signed when he signed with the San Francisco Giants. If the White Sox were to sign Zach Wheeler, sure. and then you want them to, and they bring back Ivan Nova, mm-hmm. uh, you got six starters, unless you don't think Michael Kopech's going to start with a team out of camp. And which is what I which is what I'm thinking. I don't think okay. he probably starts out. I think he probably they probably take him along slow and build him back up. He makes the debut later in the season. Okay, got it. So Nova's your fifth starter until you're ready to make that transition. 
mm-hmm. on having Kopech replace Nova. But when you have Kopech replace Nova, then what? What are you going to do with him? Yeah, that's a good question. I would think I would probably either see if I could swing a trade or um, I'd put him in as kind of a swingman in the bullpen. I don't know. Has he ever been a swingman in the bullpen? I don't think he has. I don't think so, but, you know, maybe he can teach that old dog a new trick. And hey. maybe he can learn <laughs> be a swingman. That'd be that'd be interesting. Or if Ronaldo Lopez is still struggling in 2020, maybe yep. you can demote Ronaldo Lopez to the bullpen and keep Nova in the starting rotation. I'm wondering, Ted, if that is a a thought that the White Sox have in the back of their head that they are planning for. Is that if focus issues still plague Ronaldo Lopez, do you move him to the bullpen to still try to use that arsenal? where he pitches 98, 99 miles per hour with his fastball and pairs it with the slider. And will having him pitch one or two innings be a better role for him than being a starting pitcher? Sure, yeah. You just hope that it, it that it comes firing out of the gate instead of uh, just missing all over the place. That's kind of what I would worry about. Very true, very true. Well, that is the Chicago White Sox starting pitchers. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, We'll be grading the Chicago White Sox bullpen and look ahead to the offseason on what the White Sox could possibly do adding to the bullpen next on the Sox Machine Podcast. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Again, the Chicago White Sox bullpen finished 15th in Major League Baseball in terms of war on fan graphs. And looking at the individuals out of the bullpen, the first pitcher that I want to discuss, Ted, is Jace Fry. I thought Jace Fry was very good in the 2018 season, and he was going to be someone the White Sox could count on in 2019 to be very good against left-handers and maybe be used in high-leverage situations. I was wrong. And I think Jace Fry is a good example of someone to prove that just because a pitcher is really good one year doesn't mean that they're always going to be consistently good, that bullpen arms can be fickle. And when asking our listeners what grade they would give Jace Fry for his 2019 season, 45% of our listeners gave him a D, with 35.1% giving him a C. How would you grade Jace Fry's 2019 season? I also gave him a D. Um, you know, a walk per nine of seven isn't exactly ideal uh, coming out <laughs> of the bullpen. Doesn't seem great. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, he's a great example of why it's so tough to count on a bullpen from year to year being consistently good unless you've got like, you know, six Mariano Rivera's. So um, the, the crazy thing, I think, with Fry is like he led the team in appearances with 68. So that's just kind of nuts. I, I hope that it's just a blip and he returns to form next year. Maybe this is just an off year for some reason and he can figure out what was going on with all the walks. But yeah, for now, I got to give his uh, season a grade D. Is he coming back in your offseason plan for the White Sox bullpen in 2020? Yeah, I think so. I'd like to see if he can figure things out. Um, if, it, if this was just a blip, I mean, he was so good the year previous. Um I don't know. Hopefully that's not just wish casting, but um, yeah, I'd bring him back and see what he's got still. All right. So let's talk about the other left-handed reliever who is really good in 2019 
And I hope he does not follow in Jace Fry's footsteps <laughs> going into 2020. And that's Aaron Bummer. And 64.7% of our listeners gave Aaron Bummer an A. 28.6% gave him a B. So our listeners thought very highly of Aaron Bummer. And why not? He was the fourth most valuable pitcher for the White Sox in terms of war on fan graphs. He was worth 1.3 war. He had a 2.13 ERA. And his left on base percentage, he left runners on base 82.3% of the time. He was someone that the White Sox could count on to enter in high leverage situations with traffic on the bases and come out somehow unscathed most of the time without allowing any runs and being able to pass the ball off to closer Alex Colomay uh, to close out White Sox wins. When you look at Aaron Bummer's 2019 season, what grade did you give him, Ted? Yeah, I gave him an A as well. Uh, it's nice to be able to give another A out. Um, and it's kind of cool that it belies his surname of Bummer. So that's kind of fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, you know, as you said, he was a terrific, terrific action out of the bullpen. Uh, 45 of his 58 out, outings, he was unscored upon. And even within those 45, he only allowed inherited runners to score three times. So uh, that's pretty dang good. Not too shabby. Um Nice to have a nice late inning relief option that you could count on. And he was a big reason that the Sox were able to have that kind of ridiculous win-loss record uh, once they had the lead in the later inning. So I can't give him anything more than an A. Was there anything that you saw from his 2019 season that you would say, this is a red flag and gives me pause that he can duplicate this season in 2020 and he may be following the footsteps like Jace Fry and just being inconsistent from year to year. I didn't see anything super much in the peripherals when I was looking. I mean, I guess just the strand rate might be something that you probably can't count on year to year, but um, I didn't, I didn't see anything else. How about you? The only thing that gives me pause is the Babub. Mm -hmm. His Babub was two was uh 228. Mm, okay. Alex Colomay's Babup was 215. So the two sure. of them <laughs> together. Right. But when it comes to bullpen arms, though, it, it is one of those things that if you're having a really good year, you're going to have a low Babup. His home run per nine was 0 0.53. The walk rate was 3.19. Maybe he can be a little bit better on the free passes, but the ground ball rate was 72.1%. In 2019, uh, these are the numbers that I'm going to be paying attention to early on. Uh, the only thing I'd like to see a little bit more out of Aaron Bummer is, I guess, reduce the walks and find a way to strike out more batters. Mm -hmm. uh, as he had a lower strikeout rate than Alex Colomay, and I thought Colomay didn't do a very good job on missing bats. Um, but I, you know, looking at his 2019 numbers, nothing I would say oh, this is a red flag. Let's not count on Aaron Bummer next year. Maybe the White Sox should consider trading him because his value is at its highest right now. Again, Aaron Bummer is someone that I'm optimistic will hopefully find a way to stay consistent and the White Sox can count on because I'm counting on him in my offseason plan. I'm sure the White Sox are counting on Bummer, and I'm sure the White Sox are also counting on Jace Fry to figure it out. Because they're going to need both lefties, especially with the pitchers having a minimum yep. number of batters they have to face in 2020, that they need Jace Fry and Aaron Bummer to figure it out and being able to face at least three batters. And it doesn't matter if it's left-handed or right-handed hitters, that they're able to get out of those innings cleanly for the White Sox in 2020. So 
I don't see any red flags. There are some areas that he can improve upon, but I am optimistic that he will still be good for the White Sox next year. Yeah, same same here. All right. So let's talk about the closer then, Alex Colomay. For the White Sox, Colomay had 30 saves on the year. He had a 4-5 and five win-loss record. In 61 innings, he was 0.6 war as far as his value. His ERA was good at 2.8, but his FIP was 4.08. He had some regression that was going on in the second half. That gives me a little bit pause if he is someone that the White Sox should absolutely count on to be their closer next year. And I am not thrilled on his arbitration projected number from MLB trade mm. rumors, because I don't think I would go and sign Alex Colomay to a $10 million deal. If he was a free agent <laughs> this upcoming off season. Uh, but what grade would you give Alex Colomay for his 2019 season, Ted? Uh, I gave him a B plus. He did what he was supposed to do. Um, you know, regardless of the fact that, yeah, his peripherals, he definitely outperformed them, but he converted safe opportunities, 30 saves. That was ninth in the majors. Um, I looked at back at the over under projections that you had and you had set it at 27 and a half. And I had said, nah, that's going to be under. And of course I was wrong because he got 30. So, uh, he did what he came out to do. That was a B plus in my book. Um, I didn't give him an A because of those peripherals. Is Alex Colomay still the White Sox closer to start 2020? I think so. I don't think they'll go outside, but they could. Like you said, the arbitration number is a little high, so um, maybe they they see that. But then, I don't know, does the organization that admit defeat that the um, trading Narvaez to uh, Seattle was wrong uh, to just let let Colomay go after one year? So that's kind of tricky. Um, But I, I think that they stick with them and that he'll still be their closer coming into 2020. See, I don't think they'll they'll still tender him a contract. Colomay's coming back. But if the one area that the White Sox front office hasn't been afraid to spend money on or add or add salaries, I should say, because uh, they're adding Alex Colomay's salary from the trade with the Seattle Mariners, uh, is in the bullpen. Mm-hmm. I mean, they signed David Robertson at the time to the largest contract for any reliever uh, back during the 2015 offseason. And if they're looking at Will Smith out of the San Francisco Giants, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, that could be a realistic target for the White Sox. And maybe they say, you know, we're going to give Will Smith $12 million over the next three years. So a three-year, $36 million deal. And we're going to have Will Smith close games. Or maybe Will Smith is sharing closing opportunities, save opportunities with Alex Colomay. And they go back and forth depending on the situation. I think there are a lot of White Sox fans that are hearing this and saying, no, please spend that money on bats or a starting pitcher. Uh, But I'm just looking at past tendencies for the White Sox front office because they had no problem paying Kelvin Herrera last year. And that they signed him before they even made an offer to Manny Machado or Bryce Harper. Yeah. Uh, so the White Sox front office is very comfortable spending money on reliever. So it'll be interesting to see if Colome is the dedicated closer for 2020. And uh, right now I'm 75% sure, Ted, that he is. Mm-hmm. But that does leave the door open for somebody else to be closing games for the White Sox in 2020, even though Colome is still involved. Yeah, no, agreed. Yeah, well, Will, Will Smith and Alex Colome together, that'd be nice. I'd take that. Will Smith, Aaron Bummer, Colome, you won't have to depend on Jace Fry so much. Mm-hmm. You just got to get them a lead. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's just... 
that's easy, right? Oh, um, yeah. yeah. That'll be fine. That'll be fine. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about another left-hander, Josh Osich. I did not think highly of Josh Osich. I don't know why the White Sox signed Josh Osich during spring training. Maybe I just thought he was bullpen fodder, that he would be spending most of his time in Charlotte. But instead, Josh Osage really surprised me, Ted, mm-hmm. on uh, his performance with the White Sox. I mean, his war is zero, but he appeared in 57 games. He threw 67.2 innings. The ERA is not good. It was 4.66, and his FIP was 4.96. But I thought this was a guy that was absolutely terrible and he turned out to be someone that the White Sox could use often this season. And mm-hmm. I, I find that to be a pleasant surprise. And 56.1% of our listeners gave Josh Osage a C, and that's the grade that I would give him. Uh, what grade did you give Josh Osage for 2019? I also gave him a C. He was surprisingly effective considering that he entered this year with a career negative 0.9 war. So um, <laughs> that's good. Um, you know, after this year, let's see. Baseball Reference said his ERA plus was 99. Fangraphs said the ERA minus was 103. Um, Penals and his write up said that he had the best strikeout to walk rate on the team, 4.07. So that's pretty crazy. Um, I mean, really, he gave them all that the could have possibly asked for and probably more but the problem then is okay let's look at his splits so against lefties 171 200 351 and then you look at the righties and he uh turns righties into 1974 dick allen with uh 97 344 559 so um 1974 dick allen hit 301 375 563 so that was the closest white Sox comp that i could find um so he's got that big split i don't know where that puts him moving forward with the three batter minimum he's set up to be a loogie type and um granted he did have some outings multiple innings or more where he was pretty good but um it seems like he'd be more effective just facing a batter or two so i don't know where he goes from here and then looking at kelvin herrera we talked a little bit about him as far as the white Sox willing to spend money and herrera i think was just having a disastrous season until his final couple appearances i don't know if that bumps his grade higher than an f in your book um, but for Kelvin Herrera, what grade did you give him for 2019? Yeah, I gave him an F as well. I, I, I couldn't give him anything more. At least, yeah, September was positive. So maybe for some people that bumps him up to a D plus or uh, an F plus if you want to go that route. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was not what you'd hope for um, what they signed him for. And then Evan Marshall. I thought Evan Marshall was another pleasant surprise for the White Sox. He was a minor league contract invite to spring training. And uh, he was someone that the White Sox gave the ball to often in the sixth and seventh innings to kind of help start the bridge to get the ball to Alex Colomay to close out games when the White Sox had the lead. What grade did you give Evan Marshall for 2019? I gave him an A, and this is in part sentimental. Um, I, I could totally see people giving him a, a B, B-plus area. Um, but one, he's going to make the non-roster invitee sporkle in February. So uh, keep that in mind, everybody. Uh, two, though, his backstory is amazing. I don't know if anybody saw, but um, Zach Mysell of The Athletic had a crazy story from 2018. He had been hit in the head with a comebacker, line drive. He had a ruptured artery. It was 
kind of sounded a little bit like Danny Farquhar, other than if Danny Farquhar's wasn't by a baseball. And he came all the way back from that and he had just this amazing season with the White Sox. Granted, he kind of regressed a little bit as time came on, but um, you couldn't ask anything more. They leaned on him heavily in the first half and he delivered. Um, I feel like he ended the season a little bit better than he did in the middle as well. Um, he, he was fantastic in my book. I, I have to give him an A. And then Jimmy Cordero, we got to see his bicep more in the second <laughs> half of the year coming into games. Uh, what grade would you give Jimmy Cordero for his 2019 season? I gave him a B, but uh, an A grade for his arms being guns. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to Marshall and Cordero, are they in your White Sox perspective bullpen for 2020? Cordero definitely is. I wouldn't mind seeing Marshall come back. Um, I just would hope that he's put into lower leverage roles. I think they got away a little bit um, with things early on, and he would definitely be a candidate for regression if they continue to use him in higher leverage roles unless he magically figures some things out over the offseason. Um, I'd like to see Cordero come back, even though Regression's probably uh, probably in the cards for him, too. I think he had a 154 BABIP, so um, that's probably going to come up. But, um, yeah, I'd definitely like to see them at least come back, if not in, like, crazy high-leverage roles. And then to wrap up as far as our conversation with the pitchers and still looking at the bullpen, any relievers that are currently in the minor leagues or hovering around the majors in Charlotte, like we saw this year, uh, including like Juan Minaya was bouncing back and forth. Carson Fulmer, of course, was bouncing back and forth between the two levels that you are expecting to compete for a roster spot of the White Sox bullpen in 2020. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what's going on with Zach Birdie either. I think he'll probably end up competing um, at some point, but I think probably the three names that I, that I had come up with Ian Hamilton, um, hopefully he can bounce back from just God awful, terrible luck um with the whole facial injury thing um i think he would he would compete and then cody hoyer and tyler johnson being the other two that i'd see as well yeah tyler johnson is actually going to help team usa try to qualify for the 2020 summer olympics as he's part of their qualifying team uh, that'll be playing in the premier tournament if you remember that conversation that we had with the team usa director right uh, a couple months ago uh, that tournament obviously being played in Mexico. Andrew Vaughn is also part of that team as well. So a couple White Sox faces for Team USA trying to qualify for the Olympics, which is uh, pretty exciting. But yeah, I'm pretty high on Tyler Johnson. It'll be interesting to see what he can provide in spring training and see if he can raise enough eyebrows and wow enough coaches to be considered to be part of the White Sox 26-man roster. Uh, if there's one thing that the White Sox can greatly benefit, especially depending on how much they want to spend this offseason, and for those that are doing their Sox machine offseason plan projects at the moment, is that if you can have quality relievers getting paid league minimum, that's a really good thing because then that's more money you can spend on the Zach Wheelers or the Asimani Grandels or the J.D. Martinez's or any other player that you want the White Sox to target in in free agency. And I, and I wonder if 
hopefully Jimmy Cordero and Evan Marshall and even Tyler Johnson are those types of pitchers, Ted, that could help the White Sox, at least financially, and of course, on the field performance. It sure seems like it. So yeah, let's go league minimum on these guys so we can sign all the free agents to uh, get us over the hump. <laughs> Sounds like an awesome plan. Woohoo! Let's see if Jerry Reinsdorf agrees with us. Oh, I'm sure he will. I, I have no doubt. <laughs> oh, me, no doubt that he'll pay league minimum. Oh, yeah. For relievers. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's that second part of right. spending the money on, like, Garrett Cole. Right. Uh, <laughs> that'd be a little hard to convince him. But, anyways. That is our review of the Chicago White Sox 2019 pitching staff and a look ahead to the 2020 season. Again, there's going to be a lot of conversation about the White Sox pitching staff as Rick Hahn has made it known that the White Sox are looking to add as far as into their pitching staff during the offseason. And of course, we'll be covering whatever additions the White Sox decide to make for the 2020 pitching staff on SoxMachine.com. But you can follow Ted on Twitter. He's at TedSox31 as he'll make you grind your gears trying to remember old White Sox players <laughs> as you take his sporical quizzes every Saturday morning on SoxMachine.com. And Ted, absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for giving out your insight and your grades for the 2019 pitching staff. And uh, let's do this again soon. That sounds great to me. Thanks so much for having me. I had a blast. Coming up next, it's your questions in P.O. Sox. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans, listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Socks, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter by tweeting them to us at Socks Machine, posting your questions on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Socks Machine, and helping support the site and the show by becoming a friend at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. And with Jim out, I'll step in and answer your guys' questions this week. In P.O. Socks. The first question out of the mailbag is from Internal Scram Nation, and they're asking, Why do the Bears suck? I don't know why I have this question in the mailbag, but I don't know why the Bears suck. The offense isn't all that great. Not the biggest fan of Matt Nagy's play calling and obviously the issues with Mitchell Trubisky. I hope they figure it out, though, because I put some money on them to win the Super Bowl this year. So it'd be nice if the Chicago Bears could find their way. But, you know, being selfish, the 49ers are 6-0. and So if you need a new football bandwagon to join, guys, there's plenty of space on the bus for the San Francisco 49ers. What do you guys say, huh? No? Okay. All right, back to baseball. Next question in our mailbag comes from Mailman Jack, and Mailman Jack is asking, is a 15 to 20 win improvement realistic for the White Sox next season? And Jack, I think so, but not with the current roster. And I think this is why it's always fun, but also an important activity for everyone that visits Sox Machine or any White Sox fan in general to participate in the offseason plan project just to see, one, where the gaps are, 
to the restrictions that Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams are going to be under from Jerry Reinsdorf on what the player budget will be for the 2020 season and try to figure out how do you answer or how do you provide an answer, I should say, for all the roster holes. I think right now, as the team is currently constructed, adding Luis Robert and Nick Magical at some point this season, the return of Michael Kopech, and the progressions of Aloy Jimenez and Yohan Makata and Tim Anderson and Lucas Giolito and Dylan Cease and Renato Lopez, I think the White Sox are around a 78-79 win projected team for 2020. That is a 6-7 win improvement from the 2019 season. Where they get those additional wins, I think they need to find outside help. So I do think it is realistic. And you'll see on how I'm hoping to provide answers on how the White Sox can meet that 15 to 20 win improvement, Jack, on my offseason plan. Again, that comes out Tuesday morning. I think it is realistic, but again, it depends on the work that Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams put in this offseason and making additions. And hopefully they make the right additions that can help boost the White Sox efforts in winning and make the transition from rebuilder to contender in 2020. So stay optimistic, Jack. Our next question comes from David Cermak. And David is asking, how should the White Sox marketing department market next season? Continuing rebuild, promising stars, chance at contention. How about an oldie, but I still think a goodie. These kids can play. The White Sox are still going to be relatively young, no matter who they add in free agency or via trades. And I would market the hell out of Tim Anderson and Yohan Makata and Lucas Giolito and Aloy Jimenez. Jimenez has no fear of the camera. It seems that like he enjoys being in front of the camera, as we saw often during games last year when he would make a big play as far as hitting a home run or coming through in the clutch offensively. Uh, waving to the camera saying, hi, mom. So if I was Brooks Boyer, I would take advantage of the young stars that you have. And I would say these kids can play part two and remind a lot of us the of the 2000 Chicago White Sox team that came out of nowhere. But the, the special thing about that Chicago White Sox team in 2000, that was the best offensive team ever in franchise history. And it'd be great if the 2020 squad can duplicate that type of success because if everyone hits their ceiling next year and really breaks out, I mean, Aloy Jimenez is a 40 to 45 home run type of guy. Yohan Makata could hit more than 30 home runs. Tim Anderson, who won a batting title in 2019, maybe he could do that again or even hit 25 homers. And then you add Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal to the mix and Giolito and Cease and Lopez and Kopech. A lot of reasons to be excited. So that's how I would market the White Sox in 2020. These kids can play part two. Our next question comes from Free La Pantera. And they're asking, this could be another also-ran offseason. Has there been anything truly concrete from the front office to indicate they will spend on key upgrades? Well, no. There hasn't been anything truly concrete. And I want to answer this question because how I think this offseason would go and conversing with other White Sox media folk that cover the team, they also agree with this. I think the White Sox this time around are going to try to keep things really close to their chest and not 
have what they had last year during the Manny Machado and Bryce Harper sweepstakes, which is to continually have their names dropped with all these rumored tweets starting in December at the winter meetings. And it carries on into January and even into mid-February because I think that provides a lot of distractions, not obviously outside raising fans' expectations to the level that we were at because I think at one point we really did think that White Sox were going to sign Manny Machado and we got really excited about that. And obviously that forces the White Sox front office to convert, which obviously they didn't, and I'm not making excuses for them. But I think they would prefer to have themselves waiting in the weeds a little bit to hide in the shadows. But the thing about that strategy is when you are ready to sign a player, you got to do it very quickly. You got to move very quickly. And they have done this in the past when they traded for Aloy Jimenez. Nobody, absolutely nobody except for two random guys on Reddit knew that the Chicago Cubs and the Chicago White Sox were pulling off that trade with Jose Katana going to the Cubs and Aloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease going to the White Sox. That trade was announced by the White Sox via press release. Rosenthal didn't have it. Jeff Passan didn't have it. John Morosi didn't have it. Nobody had that until the White Sox made the announcement that trade happened. And I think Rick Hahn would prefer to go that route Which means, though, from an outside perspective, we may not get anything concrete, in quotes, to say that the White Sox are being active in free agent talks or in trade talks. But I don't want everyone to think that the White Sox are not working towards signing players or trading for players, if that makes sense. They are working hard to add players It's just that they want to hide in the shadows before they finalize a deal because they don't want anybody to come in at the last minute and beat them out, very much like the San Diego Padres. But again, Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams and Jerry Reinsdorf, they can't give people that window, though. When they are ready to sign a player, they have to pounce, and they have to keep the negotiating window short because if they don't, you know very well Agents will go to the media, they will leak things, and that will invite other teams into the negotiating race, and that complicates matters for any team trying to sign or make a trade. So if the White Sox want to keep it close to the chest, they'll need to act quickly on their targets. And that will do it for this edition of P.O. Sox. Thank you guys so much for your questions. If you have a future question or topic you would like us to tackle on an upcoming episode of the Sox Machine podcast, again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Sox Machine. And also help support the show and site at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. For the 2019 calendar year, we only have three podcast episodes left. I know it's crazy, but we do need a break once in a while. Uh, Next week, we'll be reviewing the Chicago White Sox front office 2019 season and also talking about the offseason plan project and what our plans are for the Chicago White Sox this upcoming offseason. We do have an episode in mid-November that will recap all the happenings from the GM meetings. We'll also have a podcast in mid-December recapping everything that happened 
at the winter meetings before we call it a year and we pick up again in late January in 2020. But I'm mentioning this because Jim will be answering P.O. Sox questions every single week throughout the rest of the year for our Patreon supporters. So if you like our work and you enjoy the show and you enjoy the writings at SoxMachine.com and you want to support us and you want more content from us, go to Patreon.com slash SoxMachine to sign up today, which you'll get an opportunity to get not only additional P.O. Sox questions answered and be able to ask questions to our guests on the podcast and also get an ad-free show, you will also get an opportunity to continue to ask questions in P.O. Sox, in which Jim will reply with answers via new posts on Patreon and on SoxMachine.com. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I want to thank Ted Mulvey for coming on the show to recap the Chicago White Sox 2019 pitching staff and look ahead to the 2020 season. And if you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to our show in a number of ways. One is through Apple Podcasts, another is Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Google Podcasts, and audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G, because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.